Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here. John Parker Wilson will join us in 20 minutes here on Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. We are live from 6th and Peabody. Our home studios here. Getting a facelift. Renovation over the weekend. We're continuing to work on uh, the studio. We hope you'll swing by and say hello to us if you're ever in downtown Nashville. 6th and Peabody, Paul, is located where? At 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw, I also beer, like to old smoky add, moonshine here. It's right behind the convention center, Music yeah. City Center, and if you're familiar with the Titans mural, that's right there. Hit us up on Twitter and uh, Facebook, YouTube at Outkick360. Uh, again, John Parker Wilson in 20 minutes. Uh, some of the the national college football storylines: Kansas stunning Texas and Steve Sarkeesian's team. We had a topic, Chad, on Outkick the Tailgate about Sark and the job he's done this year or the lack thereof. Uh, and I mentioned, like, it, I I don't I didn't know how to answer the question on if if or if not he had met expectations to this point because I wanted to see about the upcoming uh, the quarterback situation in recruiting, but this this loss with Kansas and knowing how bad of a Jayhawks program that has been, and the depths you have to fall to lose to this and a walk on scoring the the game winning conversion. Man, that's just salt in the wound. The so, it's tough to get overly critical of someone in year one at a job that when when things aren't going well. Yeah, but thirty five point favorites, thirty five point favorites over Kansas. The same, Kansas, the same spread as Florida, Samford. Some of the some of the stats. <laughs> so Kansas has not had. They have not won a road game in the Big Twelve since two thousand eight. 13 years to win a game on the road in conference for Kansas until now. It is remarkable just how bad that program is. They had scored 61 points in their previous six Big 12 games combined. Well, and I I, uh, read an interview with Lance Leipold after the game, who I really like, who did great things. He's been Wisconsin Whitewater, I think, before he went to Buffalo. He's coached a lot of different levels. But he was saying how we had a big emphasis on energy in the locker room at halftime. Because they had a couple of these. Remember, they're leading by 10 or whatever against Oklahoma mm-hmm. earlier in the year at halftime. He said, we really had to work on, we knew it was going to be tough to hang on with the, the personnel we have, but we're up 21 in the first half against Texas. They, we still have to keep the energy, and we've really been working on things to keep the energy. But he said, just to see a little bit of success for this group, who has seen none, is so big. that They're 2-8. and eight. I mean, they're not going anywhere for the postseason, but winning that game at Texas, just how big it was for that program on the flip side of it. I don't know if you guys saw, there was a great video of the walk-ons family watching uh, the cell phone footage of the final score to win the game. Look at that stadium. It's 57-56 at the final. I mean, everyone left. Sark's done no, things no one, now. No one's going to stick around and watch Kansas possibly beat Texas. There's no one left in that Sark's stadium. Sark's done things now that his two predecessors both fired in shame, hadn't done. I mean, I don't, I don't know where he gets his footing 
now. Well, he just points to recruiting. I mean, that that's that's what I would point to. Um, and look, he's got to land the recruits. But that that's the next step is the quarterback position for them. And look, uh, credit to Kansas for just going for two and oh, going yeah. for the walk-off. Yeah, they weren't going to try to stick going around. Going for the walk-off They didn't want to hang out in overtime. Then almost knocking out one of their guys in the celebration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. I, I love you know uh, stories like that, though, where you see a program yeah. that's got nothing and, and nothing going for it. And to get a win like that is, is really incredible. I saw one of the – I don't know what the, the meme is, but it's the guy who's like sitting behind the, the – standing behind the tree that's licking his lips – and he's kind of he's clearly looking at something, getting all excited. And someone put that out of college football writer and said, "This is Vanderbilt waiting for Texas to get to the SEC." <laughs> and it's not <laughs> saying just, they were sitting there looking their lips like this is going to this uh, is our chance. This is Vandy hoping that Texas comes to the SEC early. And Chad, it's not just about the loss to Kansas, which is terrible, right? Terrible. It's the fact that they've lost five straight games for the first time since 1956. That that all of the, you you had you had lost four straight. And despite losing four straight, you're still favored by like 31 points. You definitely don't want... I said you can't put too much into year one when it's bad. You also can't have historically bad things happening to your program your first chance. I mean, is this... Right. In year one. Is That's this, also not what you is want. Is this still an attractive bowl game for Tennessee? Well, they, they got to get bowl <laughs> eligible now, which isn't going to happen. They're going to move the Texas Bowl to Birmingham. Yeah. they're like gonna, well, Which the, we were discussing last the week. The Texas Bowl will take place on a golf course with Steve Sarkeesian because <laughs> he's not going to be in a bowl game. They're not, they're not getting bowl eligible would be the issue with that. Um, the, the YouTube chat now has turned to, if you're watching the show right now, the bright light on me and Hutton saying that they look like they put an interrogation uh, light on us. Yes. That interrogation light is something we call the sun. <laughs> it's the sunlight. Yeah. We have a new golden hour now in studio now that time has changed here. It's right around 3 o'clock is when the sun is directly in our face. We have a massive, uh, face. across the street here from Six and Peabody, one of the massive hotels in downtown Nashville. And the sun... Hits one of the windows. windows. Yes. And then like the, what what would you say, Paul? The 10th or 11th floor? Yeah. And then bounces through another window to us. It's perfect. Like it's a kid with a magnifying glass and ants. It's Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville Hotel. And I was in there last week getting a cup of coffee. And I'm not a big Jimmy Buffett guy. And I asked the woman working there. I said, so, uh, ever get tired of hearing Jimmy Buffett all day (laughs) on a loop? And she kind of looked at me and said, "Way to make fun of the death, well, wh- why do you do you not like Buffett?" I said, "No, I'm I'm not a big Jimmy Buffett fan." But she wouldn't answer the question. I'm thinking, are they going to fire this woman if she complains about the Jimmy Buffett music? Yeah, they're listening in Margaritaville because there are people at the front desk behind us paying close attention to our conversation. I'm going to venture a guess that anybody who works in a service industry that listens to the same music repeatedly hates that music. Yeah. If you work at a store that's playing Christmas music incessantly you become less spirited about the holiday ohio state over purdue michigan wins over penn state and uh, props to wake forest for rebounding after what was a gut-wrenching loss last week and performing in what was the top game of the weekend for me watching wake forest nc state that was a very fun back and forth game uh so that's that's a recap of uh the top of the the college football world. Oregon, we should point out, beats Washington State 38-24. to Michigan State also, after losing to Purdue, they rebound to uh, win over Maryland 40-21. to Michigan State beat a team they were supposed to, and now it sets up 
a big test with Ohio State this week and, a, and a, an opportunity now for Kenneth Walker on a big stage for another Heisman chance. Well, I, I can tell you this. Uh, the, the powers that be in the Big Ten do not want Ohio State to lose at this point. Right. <laughs> That's one that they want to protect at all costs. But it's a huge opportunity for Michigan State coming up. Is there a scenario, I know it's unlikely, l- winner of Ohio State-Michigan loses somehow in the Big Ten championship game, and then we see a Big Ten-less college playoff it, it's possible in a world where they actually let cincinnati Dockage was in. talking about this a little bit this morning but they're not going to do that i just i Were don't i don't foresee a two loss big 10 team? i mean i no. no but they'll take a one loss oklahoma state if that plays out the way it might the big 12 team okay, well, so i wasn't asking well, about cincinnati getting in though i was asking about big 10 being out I just I don't think so. I think I think there's going to be one Big Ten team in. Yeah, I don't. Uh, well, first off, I don't see Ohio State losing, but I know for the sake of this argument, we're saying they lose somewhere. They get picked up by Wisconsin or whoever comes out of the other. Yeah, side. I'm not. I'm not. Not probable, it. but that's the nightmare scenario, though, for the Big Ten. Yeah, is Ohio State knocks everyone else off along the way. Beats Michigan. Michigan's officially out. Well, what would happen? Point, well, it would work the same way for Michigan, Wisconsin. right? If Michigan beats Ohio State, that's Ohio I mean, yeah, State's if, second if, loss. If all of that then happens, Michigan goes and loses. Well, if all yeah, then then they're out too. If they were to lose to Wisconsin the next week, if all that happens, well, the team we're, yeah, there's not going to be a Big Ten team in. The team we're forgetting about is Notre Dame in all this with one loss and probably going to stay one loss. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. But Notre Dame's kind of the, the Big Ten doesn't see the money, but Notre Dame's the de facto Big Ten yeah. team yeah. Uh, that would be in. So it, uh, what are their great wins? Let's bounce this around briefly. Let's say Ohio State wins out, okay? Alabama beats Georgia in Atlanta. How does the committee seed them going in to the college football playoff? Because it, there would be one through three. Ohio State wins out? Georgia's number one. I think at worst they would fall to three, but if they fall to three... And Ohio State wins out. I think Alabama would play. Would Alabama? They would want to avoid Alabama, Georgia for a second time. Back right? to back. Yes. Ohio State's one. I think Ohio State, Georgia, or Ohio State, Bama would be the two-three matchup that they would position. That they would want that one way or the other. Georgia might stay number one depending on how the game went. Doesn't Ohio State have to be one? Georgia, the only unbeaten team going to the SEC championship. If they lose a close one to Alabama, they Alabama I don't know have how one you, loss. Ohio, Ohio, State, Alabama. Ohio State's got to be one. Would be one. How, how do you have Alabama not – how do you not have Alabama one when Alabama the, is two currently and they would beat Georgia? Yeah, the yeah, right thing to SEC. do – the right thing to do, they won't do it, but if they wanted to go strictly by the book of what should happen, Ohio State won, Georgia-Bama in a rematch a month after the SEC championship, two versus three, Bama two, Georgia three – and then four still up pick four. Since here's the other problem with that: what if you get into a situation where Notre Dame doesn't lose, right? And it's the decision between them and Cincinnati, Cincinnati. and Cincinnati beat, beat Notre them. Dame there. No decision. It's there. their one loss. They, they can't. They cannot. But give we it to say Notre that Dame all the time. We say you can't put this team ahead of them. The Michigan State Michigan argument, and they do it. They do it. They will do it. They It'll would be, put Notre Dame in ahead of Cincinnati. Cincinnati you watch. will burn. And they're going to come up with all the... If you look at the totality of the schedules and what Notre Dame did over the course of the year, we can't just look at that one game and then say this is the... They're going to come up with some BS with that. 
We're also we we left out Oregon in this entire matchup thing too. With the possibilities there, they love Oregon. Oregon's got Oregon State now to close out the season. Not sure who they have this week. I mean, one thing we know about college football in the season this year, it's very difficult to project anything. We expect Georgia to maintain their dominance. After that, there are a lot of flaws in several of these teams. I think Ohio State, to me, is is the type of offense that can beat Georgia because they have the ability, based on what I saw this past week, yeah, they, they, and I realize it was Purdue, based on what I saw this past week, they have the ability with three talented wideouts to push the issue against the Georgia secondary, which I think is where you want to attack them. And... On the, on the flip side of their defense, they can get after their quarterback. Here's what they are. You know, Tennessee almost had 400 yards against Georgia, which is the most they've given up all year, and 17 points, which is crazy, which is the most they've given up all year. Ohio State finishes those drives. Yeah. That, that's the difference between Tennessee and Ohio State. Tennessee's got the offensive line. They've got the players where they're not getting it into the red zone and missing fourth downs. They're, they're punching it in. And that, that's what makes a game like that interesting if those two are playing, I think Georgia scores on Ohio State a lot also. They probably run it at will. But I really watch Georgia, and I think as long as they play well, they're not losing. It's going to take a really bad game from Georgia, even against Alabama or Ohio yeah. State, to lose. Not just somebody else about playing them. well. Not just somebody else it's playing well It's all about them. them. They go them into every game saying, too. if we play well, we're winning. That has to be their mentality every game. There's nothing anyone else can do to them. They would have to self-inflict something to lose a game. That's how good that team is. Ohio State's big three wideouts had 350 yards receiving against Purdue. Very uh, what, strong. And, and if you believe like I do, and I know Chad's alluding to it too, Tennessee left. Uh, to me, Tennessee should have put up 28 points. They missed a couple shots. Um, yeah, they Ohio State's more. not missing on those points. No. That's, um, that, to me, and, that's the difference. Ohio State has the players in the offensive line on, on offense but, to run it better and to finish those drives. I bring up the seeding aspect of the scenario because scenario for you. Don't you want to miss that game. Because I I, I am I think Ohio State's good enough to beat Georgia. I don't know if Ohio State can get through Georgia and Alabama. I mean, I think anyone who can beat that's Georgia extreme, could beat could beat Alabama too. That's extremely it's going to be a difficult well, task. You beat both based those on where teams, they're seeding. You beat both those teams, you're a hell of a national champion wearing that wearing that crown. But I want it to be so that they see Georgia. I just don't – I think Georgia's going to leave no doubt. I really yeah. do. I think they are going to run their way to a national title and they're not going to be in a game that's one score throughout the season. Can you imagine the memes if they don't win it this year? Oh, Since 1980. The, the 1980 talk is going to be <laughs> full force. Those crying Jordan memes. Everyone will be in the on SEC display. that's not Georgia is rooting for that to happen so they can keep saying 1980. Crying Herschel next to crying Jordan. <laughs> yes. The, cry, the, the, the amount of crying Jordan memes for Georgia, if that happens, doesn't get be, old. We're going to talk uh, the, the top of the SEC with former Bama quarterback John Parker Wilson, who joins us next on Outkick 360. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. Crew's all here. Chad Withrow, Paul Kaharski, Jonathan Hutton. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Pleased to be joined by former Alabama quarterback John Parker Wilson, who joins us via Zoom this afternoon. JP, great to have you on the show, man. Hope you're doing well. Guys, doing great. 
Good to be here. Appreciate y'all having me. So we were we were supposed to connect or try to connect in Tuscaloosa, and we have mutual friends with Dax and and Peter Kern from Farmfolio, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so they were giving us uh, the grief that you couldn't make it on the show. And I said, well, it, he's going to come on the show later. So they they gave us some stories that we're not allowed to say on the air. How do you feel okay, about good. that? Let's keep those off air. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Agreed. We, we were having the debate before you joined us if anyone is is going to beat Georgia. And we know that we expect that Georgia plays Alabama coming up soon in Atlanta. But as you watch the Georgia Bulldogs play, do you think anyone gets them this year? You know, I, I think I think I think they're playing really well. I think Kirby's got them going, and obviously, the right direction. They're playing at a extremely high level right now. But I think as the season goes on, um, you know, injuries happen, and I think anybody can be beat. I think. We've seen it from Alabama teams in the past. We've seen it, um, you know, from Clemson, Ohio State. Just because you're the top doesn't mean you're 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 naturally going to win the game. So I think I think they're right now definitely the number one team in the country. But there's there's still a ton of football left, and and now you know you got to go SEC champion, and then two more playoff games. So that's three really tough games in, in the season where you know anything can happen. So I think that's a beautiful thing about football, right? Especially college football. November is generally crazy. We see, uh, you know, teams win that shouldn't win and teams lose that shouldn't be losing. Uh, and, you know, the top is pretty top-heavy right now, but any team can go down any weekend. Knowing Nick Saban the way you know him and having played for him, how frustrated do you think he is with, with this current Alabama team? Even though the results have mostly been really good, John Parker, what, what do you think he's thinking about this team and some of the inconsistencies? Well, I think it's just that. I think it's inconsistencies because we've seen the offense look fantastic. We've seen the defense uh, look great. You know, LSU a couple weeks ago was uh, the best they've looked all season long, but we had to have them. So I think it is inconsistent. You know, we're still leading the the SEC pretty close to the top in the country in in overall points, though. So I think, you know, over the past couple weeks, the frustrating part has been on offense and, you know, only scoring 20 against LSU, but still leading the SEC. So I think the ceiling is still extremely high for this team. It's just not the same team we've had the past couple of years with, you know, Mac Jones and Devontae and Najee and, uh, you know, so many, you know, first round guys, basically. It's just, it's different this year. And I think it's been, it's been a grind for them to, to try to still, I think, form an identity of this team uh, to still get people to play together and execute together because, we just hadn't put a full game together yet. You know, looked good on offense against A&M, but against LSU was completely different. And the defense is the same. So it's just it's – a, it's a different team this year, and I think that's what probably a lot of people are frustrated with. So you came to Alabama, and you were playing for Mike Shula, and then Nick Saban takes over at Alabama. I'm always interested in players who played for someone else, and then Nick Saban comes in. Um was there a moment, was there a time where you thought, okay, this is a culture shock now for me under one regime and now playing for Nick Saban where, okay, now I know things are very different as a player at Alabama? Yeah, you know, I think it was, it was just, it wasn't one moment. It was kind of, basically it was immediate, right? It was, it was, it was a completely different philosophy. And, um, you know, Coach Shula was, was so great for Alabama, especially where our program was at when he came in. Um, and really started to get a lot of good guys, a lot of good recruits. We were still on probation. I mean, I think my senior class, there was nine guys out there on senior day because we, you know, we had 10 that came in on scholarship that year. So it was just a different look. 
but Coach Saban, I mean, it quickly changed everything and had, uh, you know, the the history of being at LSU and winning a national championship and kind of knowing what, what he, uh, what it was going to take to win and then quickly instilling into us. I mean, it really was, it was overnight. It was, hey, here's how you're going to think. Here's how you're going to wake up and go to breakfast and go to class and when you go to the training room and what you eat after practice and when you're going to go to study hall. So everything just became, um, you know, really schedule oriented and, and, you know, nothing's really changed since he got there. I mean, this has been his process probably since going back to Michigan state. And, and that's why I think he's been able to continue this and sustain it for now 15 years at Alabama. It's pretty amazing for him to be here, but to have the success year in and year out, when guys are leaving every three to four years and coaches are basically turning over every two years. Former Bama quarterback, John Parker Wilson with us. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Wilson 14. After, after Bama for you, you uh, scratched and clawed like a lot of quarterbacks to try to get your, your NFL chance. I, I'm curious between the Falcons, the Jags and the Steelers, what was the best experience for you and what made one maybe more unique than the others? Um, I mean, three really good organizations, but to me, my time in Atlanta was, was, um, you know, special. They got, I think a great owner, Arthur Blank, um, phenomenal organization, you know, still friends with a lot of those guys. Matt Ryan was, was a, he was in his, I guess, second year when I got there, um, in my first year. So just learning from him, being around him. I mean, such a good guy, such a, a good player, a good teammate, great guy off the field. Um, so I know I spent what three years in Atlanta and that was to me, you know, getting started your rookie year, you're going through it. Uh, Atlanta was a pretty special place. Uh, you know, Jaguars was, was great personally for me. It was my fourth year down there in the NFL. And then, you know, the cup of coffee with the Steelers was, um, it, it was different. It, it kind of reminded me of, of, of SEC type play of, you know, up in the North and the Northeast NFL football is, is really, you know, the biggest thing out there. And, and sure, they had the Penguins when I was in Pittsburgh, but the feel when you're in football season feels a lot like SEC play. And that's kind of what the, what the Steelers were, just with the whole town, everybody around it was, um, you know, a lot of passion and a lot of history, a lot of tradition. You walk in, you see the Super Bowl trophies. It was, uh, you know, three really good stops for me. John Parker Wilson, our guest. Have, have you played any scout team quarterback since you mimicked Etling? A couple years no, back, thank, thank God. <laughs> they they changed that rule. Um, it was the best best rule the NCAA has ever made. Because I went down there, I did Etling. Um, the uh, we played Washington in the play. The, was it the playoffs? Yeah, I think the playoffs. It was the playoff that year. And, and then Clemson in the uh, national championship. So it was. I'm glad. I mean, I was not in shape. Literally, I was <laughs> standing back there next to Jeff Fallon, our trainer. He's like, just don't pull anything. He was like. You're going to be I'm completely out of shape. I hadn't thrown a football in five or six years. And I literally, I mean, I'm the balding guy out here. They players <laughs> even know who I am. And I was going full speed. So I, my only, my biggest goal, especially the first day, was just don't get hurt. You don't want to be a quarterback not getting hit, uh, ending up pulling a hamstring or something. What does that say about Atling? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> I gave him a good look. Okay, I okay. I think we got Coach Haven a couple hat throws. You know, he wears a straw hat during practice. So, you know, if you're on the other side and he's throwing the hat because the defense is not doing something right, then then we were we were taking care of business. Hey, aside from Bryce Young, who's your favorite current SEC quarterback? 
Um, beside from Bryce Young, I think the kid at Mississippi State, man, when we played him and we had that game, he got hurt in, I think it was the first half. And he, he, I think he fell on his shoulder, and you could tell him he was in so much pain after every throw. I mean, he was grabbing it, and I've been there. It hurts. I mean, you can't. It's one of those ones where you use your other hand to lift up your to undo your helmet on your chin strap because it hurts so bad. Just to unbuckle your chin strap. For him to do that to stay in the game, they kept it pretty close. They played really well, and then to see what he did last week against Auburn coming back. I mean, five touchdowns in the second half. I mean, that, that, that was a pretty good – I think Auburn up to that point had given up five SEC touchdown passes all year, and then they gave up one in the second half. I think Stetson Bennett, Georgia's playing uh, at a super high level right now, what they're able to do offensively. I mean, uh, had a good weekend this past weekend. Um, I think uh, Corral at Ole Miss is obviously a special player. I think he could hurt you a lot of different ways. So, um, I'll tell you what, too, Emory Jones, when we played down there in, um, in the Swamp, probably the loudest I've ever heard the home boo birds come out for, for a starting quarterback. And he was able to shake those off and keep it. I mean, they, they had a chance in the fourth quarter to win the game. So for him to come back from that and just knowing how hard it is when people start, you know, booing you at home for him to come back and bounce back and then handle this week. I mean, you never want to have a close game against an FCS opponent for them to find a way to put up 70 points. It's pretty impressive. And you look at uh, Josh Heupel in, in Tennessee and, and Hendon Hooker and the way they've played offensively in year one, they're playing faster uh, than any team in college football. When you watch that as a former quarterback, do you think, man, I would have thrived in this, I would have enjoyed this system, or do you think that that's way too fast? I, I, don't, I would not want to do that if I were the quarterback. Or you, no, that's like everything you want a quarterback. Get the ball out fast, have some explosive plays, um, you know, I think Heupel's doing a great job. Hayden Hooker's good quarterback. He really is. He's a scary guy too. Dual threat. He can run it. He's a bigger, bigger guy. Um, they got it. They got it going really good right now in Tennessee because you know, even just last year, um, not not scaring a lot of people. But anytime, I mean, this past week against Georgia, like, hey, Tennessee's got a chance to win this game. Hooker's. I mean, that guy just by himself can take over a game. And obviously, what Heupel's been able to do, and it, you know. I would say as a quarterback, you like that up-tempo offense because really now you start to really – you can dictate what the other defenses are doing. You can't be as sophisticated when they're running the ball, what, three times a minute. They're trying to get snaps three times uh, for every minute of the play clock that goes off. So on defense, you know you can go in with about a quarter of your packages, your blitz packages or your exotic coverages that you typically would just because you don't get a chance to substitute and the other team is running so fast. So you get a lot more – basic uh, vanilla defenses that you can try to go exploit. We're going to be taking in the Iron Bowl for the first time in a couple of weeks without kick the tailgate. What, tell, for, for those who have never experienced this, and you've certainly played in the Iron Bowl, tell us what we're in for and what makes it so special. You know, it's awesome. It, it, the, you know, kind of I was talking about the, the NFL football up north. The Iron Bowl is so special because in Alabama – there's no professional sports teams. And really, I mean, you ask anybody that moves here or whatever, Hey, who's your team? I mean, it's like how you open up any conversation in Alabama. This is a big deal for the people who live here. It's a huge deal for the players and just the tradition that we have. And it's something that, you know, the people in the state of Alabama, you talk about all year long. I mean, you talk to friends and family or, or whatever. It's like, well, you know, we, we beat y'all last year or, you know, we got to all bring, Hey, we got a chance to knock you off this year. 
Um, I heard somebody on a call-in radio show this morning even talking about to Tommy, Tommy Tuberville when they won six in a row. So these things, these games, and they last forever. They live in history. I mean, you know, the kick six against yeah. uh, Alabama a few years ago, that's that's still like it happened yesterday for a lot of folks. Um, it's just it, – it's it's special. It's unique. And it just means a lot to a lot of people. And I think it's a good rivalry too. It's not like hatred. It's kind of like your brother pulls for a different team, right? You see these – you see Auburn fans every day. You go into work, whatever you do. Um, so it's kind of like a rivalry with your brother when somebody's got to win and then somebody's got bragging rights the rest of the year. How much has Saban mellowed over the years compared to when you first met him? Um, you know, I, I, I think he, I think he has mellowed. Um, I think he's just gone about it a different way. And I think what coach Saban does probably better than, than all the things that he does so well, he's able to adapt and change and see what's going on and see the players and see the coaches and see the landscape um, and know, hey, maybe it is a time to be mellow. Maybe it's not a time to, you know, yell at this player. And and also knowing when there is a time to do it. You know, like last week, offense didn't play very good, especially the offensive line. We've got some guys hurt. Probably need a little extra motivation after that game. And I think they handled it really well. So he's definitely mellowed. And I think um, you know, he's been there long enough and he's got this train rolling in, in the way it is right now where you can start to rely on some assistant coaches to do that or some leaders on the team. And I think I think that's what that's what he wants. He wants the guys on the team to be the, the, the head coach of their position or their unit where you go and take accountability for this unit. You don't need the coach. Players go and do it. And I think that was what so was so special about last year's team is we had like seven or eight of those guys that were basically the head coaches on the field. And, you know, that that just – it makes for a better team. It makes for a better cohesive unit, and that's what everybody's trying to do. Do Alabama fans hate Lane Kiffin or love him? I don't think we have a reason to hate him, right? <laughs> well, other than other than Nick Saban having to replace him because he was too invested in other jobs we before couldn't tell. the playoff. We were there for the Ole Miss uh, was game. Steve Sarkeesian. It was very hard to tell if, if fans – really hated him or if they love to hate him. You know yeah, what I like mean? For instance, at Tennessee, at Tennessee fans have a reason to hate him, but it's exactly. very split. The old guard at Tennessee hates Lane Kiffin and the younger crowd of Tennessee fans are kind of okay with him. They kind of have a secret crush on Lane Kiffin still. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I don't think Alabama fans have a problem with him. I think, you know, I think we like him because when he was here, he did a really good job. I mean, and he kind of revolu- was the first one to revolutionize his offense from two tight ends and a fullback to kind of spread it out running faster plays, running to hurry up, um, you know, letting quarterbacks do more. So I think he's got a, a good feeling around Alabama um, just because when he was here, I mean, for the most part, he did a pretty damn good job. Tennessee fans has a, have a reason to like you. Are you well-received by Tennessee yes. fans because they look the all the way one, back? the last one to lose to Tennessee. They love me up there. I mean, <laughs> They should at least. That was literally the last quarterback. That was two thousand what six? Six. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it's so, been a long um, time. I think Tennessee fans need a younger quarterback to love from Alabama. That's what they really need is someone younger than you uh, to well, love. So that that, that streak would hopefully, hopefully that that the loving continues for me. Uh, <laughs> I like it. It's 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 crazy. I mean, it's a streaky series. If you go back and look, um, it is a streaky, very streaky series of you know double digit wins at times. But this is. Um, it's been a pretty good run, but I think Hypo, man, even this year, you know, 
past couple of years going into the game, we kind of know we're going to win. It's massive favorites. But even this year, it's like, hey, they get a chance to win. They get a chance to to turn this thing around and to, to fix the series in their favor. So I think moving forward, I mean, they're 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 going to be a dangerous team. Uh, but whenever we have the chance to have former players from the SEC on, we ask them about the future of the SEC. Are, are you excited about the, 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 the next few years as we get to see Texas and Oklahoma join the conference? Or are you more of a traditionalist? You know, I'm both. I'm, I am a traditionalist. I love the history and the, everything that we have in the SEC. But at the same time, I mean, things change. Things are always changing. If there's any constant, it has changed. So I think – think bringing those teams into the SEC keeps us at the top. Um, I mean, two very historic programs, obviously not doing the best, especially after this past weekend. Yeah. But I think I think it continues to make make the SEC better. And as an SEC guy, I think that's the most important thing. So things will change. Um, I, I think they would they're going to continue to honor these rivalries, like you know us playing Tennessee every year. Um, you know those kind of things you don't want to lose. But at the same time, I mean, how good is Texas A&M right now and the rivalry that we have with them, with Jimbo Fisher, that that they've been able to come in and do? You know, Missouri, they went to the SEC Championship, what, the first two years they were in the conference. So they, they're kind of ebbing and flowing. But, you know, I love going to Kyle Field. I mean, that's a great place to go. I, I've never seen a game um, in Austin, Texas or Oklahoma. So I think it's going to be, you know, tough at first and people after a year or two, they're going to get used to it because I think overall it's definitely a good move. I mean – we're, we're, we're separating ourselves even more, I think, with the additions of those two people. Plus, if you look at what – I think last year was so awesome with the 10 SEC games, we kind of got a taste of what playing more than eight SEC games a year is going to look yes. like. And I think additions like Oklahoma and Texas is going to lead that you know, even faster. John Parker Wilson has been our guest. Great catching up with you, man. And uh, hopefully next time we can catch up at Phi Kern. Let's let's do it. Uh, y'all gonna be down there for the Auburn game? I'll be there. Maybe. What time are y'all? Y'all are on in the morning, aren't you? Yeah, we go. Yeah, we go early. We go early Saturday morning before all the kickoffs. Yep. I like it. That's smart. Maybe. Um, I don't know. We'll have to catch up. We'll, I don't know what time we'll be on, but we'll put it on the schedule. Let's do something. We'll pre-tape. We'll go. We'll go live from Phi Kern next season better. in Tuscaloosa. Yes. It'll be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man. Let's do it, guys. Appreciate, appreciate you. It. All right. Enjoy it, y'all. John Parker Wilson has been our guest. He's gauging what time he's getting Yeah, well, up. I don't blame him. <laughs> uh, Chad and I do that every week. Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me? You guys are on early, right? I love that. That was a great response. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into it. Same time as last time. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Outkick the Tailgate was great in Knoxville. Uh, shout out to Calhoun's on the river and everybody uh, who said Very some great scenic. things about 360. Very scenic. Uh, it was. And they, uh, it was, a lot of listeners stopped by. It was the best backdrop by. yet. Uh, David Reed even made an appearance. That's big. On the show. He drove down, went to the game, and hung out with uh, Farm Folio and everyone there. Uh, again, uh, shout out to uh, I'll Kick the Tailgate. And if you uh, have missed the shows on the weekends, definitely do yourself a favor. Go check it out on YouTube. Just search it out through the Outkick Network channel. Coming up, our big takeaways from the NFL weekend. Uh, maybe some surprise performances just based on final score and some teams that have fallen by the wayside. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. Patrick Mahomes over 400 yards passing, Paul. And, man, it, it appears as though that Chiefs offense is just fine. I, uh, I, I, was, I was writing them off. I, I was. And I'm still not totally sold on them being all the way back based on who they've done it against. But they, they're in a lot, lot better position than well, they were. Well, part of the reason why you can buy into the Kansas City Chiefs 
the Chargers are no longer no, that's, pushing the pace. The division is uh, really open for them. The Chargers have dropped off terribly. Their defense um, is just pathetic. Yeah, they need some pieces to to recover against uh, against the run. You want to talk about a contrast also with the Chargers game yesterday? The the Titans Saints and that miserable looking grass in Nashville, and then they go to SoFi Stadium, and it was that bright blue Chargers on the field. It looked like two different sports were being played. <laughs> I mean, just the difference in the color contrast of Saints uniforms, Titans uniforms, and then. Chargers and those uniforms I mean, really popped. Anyway, continue with you that. You liked it visually. There was a was visual thing there that was, was stimulating. Yeah, I was watching the game with my, my parents, and my mom said, what is that? <laughs> what are they playing on? I said, it's just a really nice surface. It's it's like, called, this looks different. It's NFL-level quality turf. Yeah, it was, well, it was crazy. It's also different. turf that doesn't have a soccer team or a college football team playing yeah, on it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes got back in his groove there, but to get back in his groove, he needs Kelsey and Hill. And Kelsey really yeah. had been down too. And he, I think I saw something about him saying he felt really rejuvenated last night back to himself. That's, that's a key that's got to go along here too. But I do think Mahomes was settling for shorter stuff last night until other stuff opened up for him because he drew people forward with the shorter stuff. I still do think that they're a weapon short. Um, and, and if you can find a way to deal with Hill and Kelsey, um, they are more defendable than they have been, and we've seen that from some teams. Now, Mahomes is in the right mindset last night as compared to what he was doing earlier when we saw him here against the Titans. We were just forcing stuff that just wasn't there and getting himself in trouble with the turnovers. That stuff calms down. They're going to be better. I still, And I think they'll be better, but I don't think they'll be as better as they were the last two years where you write them in for the Super well, Bowl. Their right defense now. has gotten better. Uh, defense was wasn't a problem for them. That that was the you know an issue early on was they just have to score every time because that defense was horrible. They've gotten a little bit better on defense. Mahomes seems a little bit more comfortable. You're right about Kelsey uh, last night doing doing a little bit more. I don't know that they ever fully left Hutton when you ask are the Chiefs back. You know maybe it was just the way Mahomes and Andy Reid talked about it after the game. Everyone has a slump. Everyone goes, you know, it has a few weeks where you're not the same. Maybe that's what it was for them. Maybe they really did disappear and they've reemerged. Maybe they haven't fully come back. I don't know. But about, they look like the Chiefs last night. I don't know about everybody has a slump, though. I, I, I mean, this year is a different year. I think you'd agree, Hut. Usually we see one or two teams in each conference who are really a cream of the crop. And that team typically doesn't slump. That's a twelve and uh, a twelve and four yeah. team, a thirteen and three team, and and when you're losing three games, you're not having much of a slump over the course of a season. It's usually well, the quarterback play that allows you to it. elevate to that. I mean, they've lost four games right now. They could uh, the Raiders. They could, they, that could be it. They could lose the one more, games, and then we'll say there was a bad slump. At the this Raiders point here. have scored sixteen or less four times this year, and have lost all four. I mean. It, it, I think everyone would presume you score 16 or less in the NFL, you're losing. Yeah. But that shows you how hot or cold the Vegas Raiders are. Yeah, and the game before that was Jordan Love's Packers. You know, so that right. in terms of the defense playing better, well, you really had a platform there to play well defensively. Browns have fallen to the wayside, and, and part of it is due to uh, I, I do buy into Mayfield having to play hurt. I mean, the guy is tough. I also don't know at this stage 
whether or not he's worth that big money contract. Yeah. Plus, forward. where's Nick Chubb for him? Like, if he's going to be good, it's going to be with the running game behind him. Kind of what people think of Tannehill that's well, in, inaccurate. Right. Chubb but, was out with COVID. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. He's been hurt. Now he's out with COVID. When they don't have everything together yeah. there, Mayfield's not a carry it guy. Meanwhile, the Titans without Henry are figuring out ways through two games anyway against pretty good competition. I don't think that Mayfield crosses that Tannehill line that a lot of people are critical of Tannehill for unnecessarily. I'm with you, and I think that the Browns could be like a new school of thought here where you, you don't pay the contract that he demands, which is just in line with the next quarterback contract. There's no nuance on these quarterback contracts. You either get it or you don't. It's pretty much in the ballpark it's a, it's or a it's very, not. I know. It's a very weird predicament. As it, and there's still games to play itself out because he's playing hurt. He's playing. He's battling, which I respect. And you like his personality, his broken bone all in of his that. shoulder, or whatever's going on with his labrum, tore a torn labrum. Uh, yesterday, he's limping off the field, and he's going to be out for a little bit. But, but he's not a hundred twenty million dollar guy. No. So go get the next one. Well, good. Oh, say that to the Cleveland Browns who have been nah, trying to go yeah, get the next nah, one for years and years and years and years. As soon as it came out of my got mouth. A, they've I, got a guy who's a, a national Kaiser. star. They have a Baker Mayfield's on how many commercials on game day? Yes. I, I don't I, I think you gotta stick with him. Unless you're you're what you're saying is he's not gonna stay healthy. That that's a different discussion. But Baker Mayfield went healthy. I think he's good enough to get a contract to still be the Browns quarterback, and you don't have to go back into the draft and draft one. See, I think he's good enough to get a contract. I don't think he's good enough to get the contract. Well, if he now, keeps, if you if let he keeps him go not being the, available or playing like this, he won't. Right. But I think like if you let him get to free agency, like, is there a scenario where you could not tag him and there, just let him get to free agency and then see what happens with the market? Is somebody going to knock his socks off in a way no, that you won't? I think there's a scenario where the Browns can realistically come back. If he continues, if this, if this is the route they continue to go down this year, the Browns can easily sell him on, you're not going to do any better than what we're offering. And here's a good offer. You know this offense. Not an Aaron Rodgers offer, you know but this a good offer. It's a good offer. It's a fair offer. Good luck got going, a good thing and, going and doing something better somewhere else. Good luck on that being what's right for your career, even if it's a, a little bit more money. But you're not doing much better than that. I'd this. love him to be the test case for that, but I agree with you guys. If by chance it goes wrong, the Browns set themselves up to be crucified so, well, hang on. with no alternative. But what's his, what's his le- I mean, I don't know that he's got a lot of leverage no, right now. This feels either. like Scott Frost in Nebraska. No, he's got tons of leverage. This feels like Scott Frost in Nebraska saying, I would still like to be here. Let's work it well, out. Oh, you said he's not worth how much? 120 is the number that's popping into my head. Ryan as, Tannehill, as four years, number. $118 million. Um, Carson Wentz signed a $130 million contract. Baker Mayfield's got a ton of leverage here. He's going to get paid. The question is, is he going to get the – Is he? he's not going to get Josh Allen money. I don't think he gets Lamar Jackson money, but I mean – But that's I, what he'll be looking for. Well, sure. I, I, I would too if I'm a quarterback in the NFL. Right, going so how for do you not Contract give number that? two. I, I don't know how you win the negotiation. I mean, some of the, the middle of the now. pack quarterbacks to my to what I'm saying, like Carson Wentz is getting big money from. The, I think Carson Wentz is worth more than Baker Mayfield right now. I don't. I don't. Buy I would. That. I would take Carson Wentz over Baker Mayfield. Uh, Jared uh, Goff, 134 million. Uh, Jared Goff's overpaid. He he signed too big a contract and got traded away. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield's in a weird spot where I think Carson Wentz was better off in Indianapolis than yeah. Philadelphia. I think Baker Mayfield's in a weird spot where his best spot is Cleveland. 
and it gets worse for him with another team. I don't know who wants him, though. Like, if your choice is Baker Mayfield expensive or go shop for Rodgers or Deshaun Watson or the draft, I'd be tempted to go elsewhere. Coming up, we get into the Titans, who are 8-2 and with Tannehill at quarterback and how they're making it work without Derrick Henry and Julio Jones.